0: Welcome to Reframe Your Mindset for Success. With me today is Gary Cookson. Gary is a father of four and a husband of one and runs a successful business in his spare time. He helps individuals, teams and organisations become even better at what matters to them. His book, HR for Hybrid Working, is due out on the 3rd of June this year and it's published by Kogan Page. And he told me he's sure to mention this more than once. And Gary has extensive experience leading and directing HR, OD and L&D functions across all sectors. He was recognized as HR's most influential movers and shakers in 2019 and as a HRD Connect Thought Leader, a keynote speaker and focuses and specializes in leadership and HR issues. And I'm really looking forward to speaking to Gary today. Welcome to Reframe Your Mindset for Success. With me today is Gary Cookson.
1: How are you, Gary? I'm all right, thank you, Paul. Yes, thanks for having me on.
0: Oh, it's great to, have, great to have you on. What are you up to this week?
1: Well, it's a four-day week for, for me and, and it's something that I've been thinking about quite a lot recently. I've decided that I'm going to go four days a week every week from now on. I did five days a week last week and... Bad things happened and I've decided I can't do it anymore. So start of a a new regime for me. But uh, later on today, I'm heading into Liverpool, not far from you. And I'm I'm delivering a face-to-face event. I don't don't do many of those anymore. It'll be only the second time I've done it in two and a bit years. So I'm into Liverpool later on today. Um, And then later on this week, it's my youngest son's birthday. And it'll be the first time he's had a proper birthday because COVID over the last couple of years... There were restrictions the last two years when he had a birthday, so it's his first real proper birthday this week. That, that's
0: right. You know, it's been been the same for, for our little one. You know, Connor he, he's literally missed so many birthday parties because of the last yeah. few years. So exactly the same thing. So so a busy week then.
1: Yes, it is for me. Yes, but I was glad to have the day off yesterday.
0: Great stuff, and I think your idea for four day working weeks. I think that's definitely the way forward for us
1: all. <laughs> Yeah, I'm hoping so. I mean, I'll, I'll talk a bit more about that and why as we get through this, but I think there's a lot of companies doing it now and, and I was weighing it up with my wife and we thought the benefits outweighed any potential disadvantages that it might well bring. So it's going to give me a spare day every week. I've just got to decide what I do with it. Sounds brilliant. Sounds brilliant. So
0: as you, as you know, the podcast, Gary, we, we always start with your story. So it's, it's over to you in however many words and however you want to tell it.
1: Okay. Thank you, Paul. Well, the way I introduce myself to to people when I first meet them is to say that I'm a father of four and a husband of one. And in my spare time, I run my own business. But I couldn't have done that without the way I've organized my, my working week, what I call hybrid working. Managing my, my wellbeing and achieving work-life balance is tricky, but I couldn't have done it without hybrid working. And if you think about it, the 40-hour-a-week, nine-to-five, Monday-to-Friday working week in the office is based on the premise that whoever's doing that they have somebody else to do the cooking the cleaning the washing the child care it's an outdated principle you aren't able you aren't meant to be able to do all that and work 40 hours a week there was one year in my life when just because of the ages that my four kids were at they went to four different educational establishments just for one year and the school run twice a day was it was a nightmare, for You just can't work all the time in the office, nine to five, and have a commute and do all that. You need flexible working arrangements, hybrid working. And it yeah. comes in loads of pluses and, and loads of minuses as well. But it kept me engaged, kept me committed, kept me performing for, for my various organizations until I worked in a job where I couldn't do it anymore. And this is the big defining moment in my, my career. I moved to a new job as a senior HR professional, director-level role in a really big organization. And it was my own fault. I was seduced by the title, the salary, the package. Yeah. Didn't really do what, what you'd call due diligence on, on what the role really meant for me and my family. And the location was further than, than I'd ever commuted to before. It wasn't impossible, but it was complicated as a journey. It involved three different forms of transport or one very long, costly car journey. I didn't like either of them. It would have been manageable if I could have done it maybe two or three days a week and done the the balance at home. But this organisation didn't allow you to do that, didn't have the technology to do it. You could only do this job nine to five in one office at one desk. You couldn't even access your emails remotely. So when I was on the train or something, or on the ferry across the Mersey, I couldn't even read and reply to emails. Once at a, a telephone meeting, Telephone meeting. Imagine that in this day and age of video <laughs> meetings on the phone. He went in my diary for 4:30 on a Friday afternoon with an executive director. Now at that point, I would normally have been on the train home. So I said to them, "It's only a telephone meeting. I'll do it from the train." And they said, "No, you won't. You'll do it at your desk on your landline, and then you'll go home." Now this wasn't too many years ago, and and it sounds like it should have come straight out of the 1980s. But actually, it's only five years ago oh, wow. once yeah I know it's, it's strange to think once I was really ill and I, I couldn't face a long commute into the office but I thought well I can work from home in my pajamas so I did that I did offline work with no system access and I got grilled next day back in work grilled what work have you done why did you choose to work at home how unwell were you really and after that, my working times and locations, I saw them appear in my manager's Outlook calendar. They were set for me. And then it got worse than that. My wife got pregnant with, with our fourth child. And yeah. a pregnancy's always got the same. In the first trimester, she's really ill. She can't cook hot food because it makes her sick. She can't do school runs because she needs to be near a toilet. So I needed to do more of both, at least for a while. But I was told no. I, I was a senior leader. I needed to set an example that that kind of pressure came with the job. So I used my mum to do some school runs. But yeah. during this time, my mum was diagnosed with with ovarian cancer, oh, and a couple no. of years later, she she died from that. But this was the early oh, stages. No. She was having chemotherapy, and she couldn't do school runs on the weeks that she was having chemo. So we had nobody. And I asked again at work if I could temporarily work from home or at least vary my hours, and I was told no.
0: And I don't know how we did it,
1: but we yeah, we, we managed one day at a time. There was another time that a meeting went in my diary for 9.30 in the morning, but it was on a day when I had to do the school run. I had no one else to do it. And I was getting into work on public transport, and I knew it was going to get me there at 9.40, 10 minutes late for this meeting. So yeah. I told the chair of the meeting, I'm going to be 10 minutes late. And they said, fine. And I was 10 minutes late. But later on that day, my manager gave me a bollocking. For being 10 minutes late said that i needed to organize my life so that i could get into work for whenever it was needed so i, I was furious i was angry and you can imagine this paul i'd, yeah, I'd leave yeah. the house before anybody else was awake I'd, I'd have made breakfast for them left it on the table and i'd leave before they got up i'd get to work angry and i'd stay angry all day and i made really bad decisions as a result yeah i'd get to home get home because my wife couldn't cook hot food They'd had a pretty shit evening meal without me. And everyone was angry with me. I lost weight. My performance suffered. My mental health suffered. All because I couldn't control the way I worked, what I call hybrid working. And I spoke at a conference. It was the CIPD conference about five years ago. And my talk was on flexible working and how HR professionals need to do their bit and lead by example. And I, I listened to myself preaching and I thought, you're a hypocrite, Gary. You know what to do, but you're not doing it yourself. So by the end of the next day, I'd left the job. I'd set up my own company and I started hybrid working again and putting my life back together. That doesn't mean life's smooth sailing even now, but I make loads of mistakes. But they're my mistakes and I own them and I perform and I'm engaged and I'm committed and I work when and where I need to and with who I want to. And that's my story of how I've got to where I am today.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. So, so you know, quite quite an intensive corporate career. Then that the, the really has made you realise that the flexible working is the way forward. And that was that was before the pandemic started.
1: Was before the pandemic. Yes, it was. It was to yeah. uh, twenty seventeen. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and you know, and I know we were talking prior, prior to this started, and you know, you you're about to to release a book um on, on remote working, hybrid working. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: I can, yeah. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm trying to plug the book as much as I can and people might get sick of me mentioning it, but the book is called HR for Hybrid Working. It's about it's published on the 3rd of June and it's available from all good bookstores. But it's all about how we reimagine the, the world of work and in particular how we lead, manage and communicate with people if they're working remotely in a hybrid way or even face-to-face. What needs to change in the way we deliver people practices, all aspects of the employee life cycle. And that's what the book is about. And It draws on, on my research, but also my experiences of doing that over a near 20 year period. It isn't something that came new to me when the pandemic yeah. hit. i had been doing it for a while. And, and you can see from my story, it's something that enabled me to be the father and the husband and the professional that I wanted to be until it all came crashing down. So I bring all those experiences into the book. Brilliant, brilliant. And,
0: and you know, on, on the basis of you, you leaving the, the corporate world and setting up your own business, how, how does that relate to, you know, the book and, you know, you, you actually, you've got hybrid working practices, but,
1: but what is it you actually do now? Well, I help individuals, teams and organisations to become better at what matters to them. And that's obviously a very broad church, but most of what I do is working with leaders and working with people, teams, HR, L&D, OD teams, to help them improve the working lives of people in the organization and improve what work actually is. So a lot of that focus in the last couple of years has been about how do we work remotely? And as we emerge from the worst of the pandemic, it's about how do we manage to go into a hybrid environment without making it too easy to just go back to the old ways of working? So that's my focus at the moment yeah
0: and, and how how well do you think organizations are getting on at the moment with i mean obviously it's been accelerated through the pandemic The you know we've we kind of gone remote and then we've now got to this you know not not all our organizations by the way because some some organizations have pulled the staff straight back into work and yeah you know they're, yeah. you know, they're, they're not they're not doing it they're not playing ball with it but i know most seem to be coming to some kind of hybrid arrangement. how how do you see that what's the landscape could you could you give us a bit of a picture
1: well the landscape's populated by extremes. If you read the media, you see the Jacob Reese Mosses of this world leaving notes on civil servants' desks saying, you know, come back to the office, with, with a thinly veiled or else in, in there as well. And yeah. you you see things like that in the media. And, and the reaction to that in the media from, from everybody I talk to as well is strongly negative. And things like that are driven by a little bit of fear and a little bit of culture a little bit of command and control but also the need to make the best use of the the corporate environment which in many cases is already built and paid for and if people aren't going to be there it's sat largely wasted and it's understandable but just because it works for the people at the top of the organization doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody else in the organization everybody's circumstances are different and when you do see the other extreme coming through i saw something in the news last week about airbnb for yeah. example who were going to the other extreme and saying people can work from anywhere anytime and as long as work gets done they're basically not that bothered now that is is a nice principle to have but even that's fraught with risks you know there is, there is zero control on that and it sounds really good but it might be going too far in putting power into the hands of the employees and i think there's a better way yeah. middle way and I, in my book i try to talk about let's think of working in different ways and let's look at what work is being done not just when and where but with the type of work and then work out a, a middle ground somehow
0: okay yeah no no makes makes complete sense and um you, you know i'm, I'm looking for when, when's it out the book by the way third of june Third of the tune, right? Okay, I'm looking forward to reading that. Well, as you know, Gary, the, the, the podcast it's it's reframe your mindset, so it is it is all about mindset, and you know right. if you think about mindset and ways of working, it you know it all, all interconnects a little bit as well. Um, but but from
1: your perspective, how, how important is mindset and what you do? It's it's really important, Paul. If if I'm typical, I mean, you, you've just listened to my story. If I'm typical, then there's going to be millions of people like me whose performance engagement commitment is impacted by hybrid working or a lack of it. The pandemic forced loads of people to work remotely and now in a hybrid way, but it was a false situation. It wasn't what could have been. It was what it had to be. It's why I wrote the book. We've got to reframe our mindsets about what work is if we're going to avoid slipping back into old ways of working. And we're going to miss out if that happens on what remote and hybrid working can really bring people. So I try to help organizations to do that by sharing my mindset that work is defined by the task itself and how the task needs to be done, not by arbitrary days of the week splits or policies or, or even individual circumstances. It's much more complex than yeah. that. So I try to share my thinking and my mindset around what work is. Uh, that makes, it
0: makes complete sense. And, you know, if you were to then go on and, and describe your mindset, Dan, how, how would you describe it?
1: Well, I think I've hinted at it in some of the previous answers, particularly the story. But I think we have to see work as a really fluid concept that can and, and does change. And therefore, the workplaces and workspaces that we have need to similarly change. Now, that's yeah. often dictated by individual circumstances, and rightly so. But the nature of work it needs to be flexible. And if we have a fixed mindset about all of this, it's too rigid too outdated. We've got to be more flexible in the way we think about work. Now, I wasn't always like that, and I haven't always experienced that, and I've described one of the defining events in my journey already. But my mindset is about being flexible and not having a a rigid, fixed approach to what work is and where work needs to take place or indeed when. Yeah, no, do you
0: know what makes complete sense? I mean, I've, I've found, you know, and especially since the pandemic, you know, it really has taught us that you can more or less work from anywhere, anytime, any place. but it does depend on what you're doing. So, so yeah. you know, that, that, that needs to be thought through, as, as you're saying. Um, you know, so on the basis of you know, your mindset, your story, if, if we looked at, at, at practical tips then uh, around your mindset and remote
1: working, which is, is what we're talking about, what practical tips have you got? I, I think it's about values. I, th- I think we need to ask ourselves what matters to us? So to yeah. anyone listening to this, you know what matters to you? What drives your behavior? What are the things maybe that you hold dear in life and, and to a degree that you hold dear in work too? How do you want to be seen by others as behaving? And is that the same as the things that you do when no one is looking? Because they should be. So yeah. I think answering those types of questions helps people to develop their mindset. So ask themselves those, those questions. Other questions like, what would you quit a job over? What would you fall out with your best friend over? What would cause you to complain to an organization? What would make you pick a fight with a complete stranger? Those might be your values and they shape your mindset. So I, when I do coaching work, which I do with leaders a lot, I get them to answer those types of questions, to get them to explore and, and develop their mindset because it helps them to understand what, what really matters to them. And that is your mindset.
0: That's that's brilliant. They're, they're great questions, very thought provoking as well. So yeah, that that's that's really good advice. So on on the basis of developing your mindset, who's actually helped you along the way?
1: I think we we have to talk about my parents here, Paul, particularly yeah. my mum. Now, now my mum, who's not been with us now for a couple of years, but she was a never ending source of wisdom and advice to me when I was younger. When in in her later years. I think we we both figured out we were a bit too similar to to each other and we clashed a lot in the later years. But in my, my formative years, up until the point that I left home in my early 20s, she gave me so much advice and I still find myself using it. I'll often have little mini conversations with her in, in my head and I can hear her almost talking to me and I'll say things and I can hear them almost these things in, in her voice. She used to tell me lots of different things that helped me develop my mindset one thing that she she would often say to me is it's just a phase and she would say that to me when whenever I was going through a tricky time that could be with school or with friends or with with family or or anything anything at all when I was going through a tricky time and and when you're in that kind of the the wallowing period in any tricky time you you do tend to think as if it won't end yeah yeah but when you look back it, it always does there's no set time frame on it but but everything moves on and nothing lasts forever so she would help me to reframe things when I was really down in the dumps about things she would say remember it's just a phase
0: just a phase. might yeah.
1: last a while but it's just a phase things will move on things will get better and that helped me to really think about when I was at my lowest that I wouldn't always be at my lowest that I would get better at, at some point so I often remember that I often say that to myself she also taught me very much the the principle of saving for the future or preparing for the future as well, and I don't mean a kind of a doomsday prepper type scenario. But she would always help me to think about where I want to be in later life and, and work backwards from that. So if I want to retire early, and I do, and, and who wouldn't? You know, what do I need to do along the way to make that happen? What are the key decisions that I need to make? whether that's saving money or putting into a pension or, or making life choices, she would always help me to think through, well, where's that going to lead you? Where will that take you in? Yeah. Maybe even decades times. So I, she was a big long-term thinker was my mom. And I often think in, in those terms as well, where Where will this decision lead to in 10, even 20 years time? Other things she would say to me that, that I often repeat to myself, she always, emphasize the the importance of preparation and being fully prepared for anything over following up so she wasn't a big one for sweeping up behind herself and nor am i but she was a big one for going into situations fully prepared for what might happen so if you if you have a choice between preparing for something a meeting a decision an important event or sweeping up behind yourself afterwards yeah she would always go with the former she would always go with the preparation and she said preparation beats almost anything another thing she would do and, and there's a lot that I'm, as I'm thinking of this remembering loads more things that she would tell me she was good at visualizing goals and that's something I use quite a lot in my coaching as well yeah. she she would and I don't know how because she wasn't particularly sporty herself but she would she would focus on sports people whether that's at the Olympics or or, or things like that. And she would look at what the the gold medal winners were doing. And she would, she'd read about them. She'd study them and she'd, she'd then share what she'd learned with me. And a lot of it was about visualization, visualizing yourself, achieving your goals and achieving what you need to be. And she taught me how to do that. And she, she taught me quite a lot. About stuff like that. She's very much an optimist about if you think for things, if you prepare for things, if you plan for things, then they're much more likely to come your way. So that that was the kinds of advice that she that she would share with me. So she's probably been the most formative influence on me, I would say.
0: And 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 you know what what, what a fantastic influence, you know, to have such you know a, a positive optimistic outlook the the you've been more like more or less coached by by your mother there rather than do, do you know what i mean it's like looking back yeah
1: being coached yeah looking back neither of us would have would have used that label i think at the time but looking back yeah, yeah. right
0: brilliant brilliant some, some some great examples that you shared there and i know you know my, my dad passed away I have, many years back and he always used to say to me to reframe my mindset and similar to the advice you were given about it's just a phase it, and the, the phrase was, you know, is it really that important? And when you sat down sometimes and thought about it, it really wasn't. So, you know, similar, similar type of advice, but they're, they're fantastic tips uh, to, to share. So, so on, on the basis of, you know, your escapades, your adventures and and travels and, and corporate world and in life, have you got any funny stories that, that you'd share with, with the listeners?
1: have, yeah. I, I could go on all day. With these. So I'll, I'll tell you a few and, and you just stop me when when you think is the right time. Okay. I'll, 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 I'll do these in chronological order, I think, because it's kind of easier to, for me to remember them. Some funny stories of things that have happened to me at work. One was the, the guy who brought his snake to work. And I was the HR manager at an organization. And I got a, a call from the finance manager who said, oh, you need to come over here right now because... Sam's brought his snake to work and he's frightening people with it. And you need to come and sort it out. And I said, well, no, because you're his manager, you sort it out. And he said, no, no, this is an HR issue. You need to come. So I wandered over to the finance office and there there is Sam sat at his desk with a cardboard box. And in in this cardboard box is his pet snake. And he'd been taking it out of the box and waving it in people's faces to frighten them. (laughs) So I said, Sam, this snake's got to go. And he refused. He said, well, I'm not breaking any rule. You show me the, the line in my contract that says no snakes. You show me the policy <laughs> that says anywhere no snakes. And he was confident that he'd looked at these things and the, there was no such line. And therefore, he wasn't breaking any rules. And he'd got me there. I didn't have a snake policy or a snake clause <laughs> in, in the contract. But what we have in, in employment law in, in this country is, is a duty of care to provide a safe and healthy working environment. And it means that we have an implied duty to look after people in the workplace. And you don't expect to come to work and be frightened by a venomous reptile. You just don't expect that to happen. You don't need to write that kind of stuff down to actually rely on common sense in the (laughs) employment relationship. So I told him all of this, said, Sam, if this snake stays, I'm not fulfilling my duty of care to everybody else in the office. So it's got to go and he grumbled a bit and he said okay i'll get rid of the snake but but answer me this and he said last week in the office next door jane smith who was off on maternity leave she brought her newborn baby in to show people and she waved that in my face and i was frightened by a baby what's the difference in a baby and a snake <laughs> and and i thought about this for three maybe four seconds and i just said shut the fuck up sam and get the snake out of (laughs) here so so there there's one Um, i'll tell you one other work story and then i'll tell you one more about about life i think which explains what what i do The, the other work story i was i was hr manager in a call center and when when you ring up call centers there's often that phrase that you hear calls are recorded for monitoring purposes and they are, but only a very small percentage ever get listened to, something like 1% of calls. So purely by random, we, we got this one inbound call. And I should say at this point that what we were doing in the call center, we were, we were selling commercial repairs, going around repairing shops and things like that when they needed repairs. That gives you context for what this call is going to be about. Yeah. So this inbound call from a male customer, or he said he was a customer, he asked for one of our staff by name. He wanted to speak to Anthony. Can I get through to Anthony, please? So he's spoke through to Anthony and we listened to the call. And the call went something like this. Oh hi Anthony. I'd like to book your wife, please. <laughs> and there was there was a bit of a conversation that was a bit like uh, I'd like her to do these things to me. I want to meet her at this place in time. I'm willing to pay this amount of money. I want her to wear these items of clothing. And there was a bit of conversation where they they firmed up the finer details of this transaction. And then then they hung up. And we picked ourselves up off the floor, having listened <laughs> to this. And then we wondered, what what's Anthony done next? So we checked his call logs. And his next call, still using our 0800 free phone number, was, was to his wife. No way. So, so we listened to this. And their conversation went a bit like this. So guess what, love? I've got you some work. You need to meet Joe Bloggs at this place in time, wear these items of clothing, do these things to him, and, and then he's going oh, to man. give you this, this money. And on the way home, get something in from the supermarket. And, <laughs> and, and then, then they, they hung up. And, and that, they've clearly got a very interesting husband-wife dynamic going on at that point. <laughs> so we, we, we picked ourselves up off the floor for a second time. And we, we got the police involved, as you, as you clearly would hear. There's clearly some, some criminal activity here. But yeah. the criminal law is different than employment law. The, the police do their thing. We can do ours. We had him on something really, really simple. He was misusing company equipment. He was running a business on using yeah. our equipment on our time. Did, we didn't really need to make a moral judgment about what he was doing he could have been selling stuff on ebay but in actual fact he was pimping out his wife it didn't matter <laughs> what he was doing so we, we dismissed him on on those grounds and one of the uh, one of the bits of mitigation that he he offered was that we didn't pay him enough so he needed a second income and that was his one of his wow. defenses which we didn't have yeah. much time for so th- those are the two work ones and <laughs> i think my, my third and final story to to finish with is one that kind of encapsulates a little bit of what I do and, and how I do it. My my eldest daughter now, she's she's 17 and learning to drive. But when she was three, she asked me what I did at work. And my role then was head of HR. And it's difficult to try and explain HR to an adult, let alone to a three-year-old child. And I struggled. <laughs> and the, the best definition I came up with was that my job was to help people feel happy at work. And... If I'm I'm honest with you, Paul, I've not come up with anything better in the 14 years since, because there's something about that. Because if people are happy, they're they're much more likely to perform. She was quite satisfied with with this. Then she went off and came back a few minutes later with some paints and some paintbrushes, and she wanted to paint with me. She said that's what makes her feel happy. And she thought then, and still thinks now, that my job involves getting people to paint in the workplace because that's what would make oh, people feel happy yeah. in the workplace. And I haven't bothered correcting it. What what a, but,
0: what a great metaphor though. You know, for It is. What you yeah. Do. It describes yeah.
1: what I do. It, yeah. but it has downsides. So I'll finish with this one. Last year, I was having some work done in my house. We we're having a garage <laughs> conversion and we had some plasterers in and they were plastering the ceilings and the walls, getting it ready to, to turn into a bedroom. And the main plasterer comes over to me and he says, Oh, what do you do at work, mate? And I said, I pulled myself up to my full height and I said, I'm in human resources. And I expected him to to take a step back in amazement. And he said, never heard of it. What's that? And I thought about this and I thought, well, he's self-employed. So he wouldn't have ever come into contact with anybody in this line of work. So I'm going to have to explain it to him in in ways he'd understand. So I I told him what I told my three-year-old daughter. I said, well, my job is to make people feel happy in the workplace And he he looked me up and down and he he sniffed. He went, sounds shit. I said, (laughs) you what? He said, it sounds shit that does. Can you make me a cup of tea? That's going to make me feel happy. And I thought about that. So if it makes him feel happy, if it makes him do better or faster plastering, then I'll make him a cup of tea. So I made him a cup of tea and left him to get on with his job. And ultimately that's a microcosm of what I do at work. It's whatever... Help yeah. people to feel better about their job, whatever matters to them. That's what we need to do. And that's my mindset as well.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. So some, some great stories there, Gary. So, so thanks for sharing. So, so coming to a conclusion you now, we, we, we could talk all day and I could, I could listen to your stories all day. I, you know, If you were to give that last bit of advice to the listeners around mindset, what would it be?
1: I go back, Paul, I think, to some of the things I said earlier on. Don't be too rigid. In your mindset. The title of this podcast is Reframe Your Mindset, which of course implies that you should and you can up from time to time. And that's something I'd reinforce here. Be flexible in the way you approach your work, your life. Don't be too rigid in how you approach these things because that way trouble lies. And that's my final piece of advice. Brilliant, brilliant. And once
0: again, when's the book
1: out, Gary? Third of
0: June. Third of June. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much for coming on. I've really enjoyed it. It's been great having you on today. Okay. Lovely. Thank you for having me. It's been great having Gary on the podcast today. You know, talking about his personal experience where he was unable to work flexibly especially in the circumstances that he was in at the time. You think that the employer would have shown a lot more empathy. And it goes to show you the world has changed so much since then. But before the pandemic, Gary actually realized that, you know, it was time for him to develop the mindset of hybrid working. And what he shared today, you know, some great practical tips, insights into his mindset and insights into the mindset of a hybrid worker. And with this book coming out soon, you know, I highly recommend for anybody interested in learning more about hybrid working, HR for hybrid working, out to the beginning of June, something to to tap into those insights that Gary's got, practical ideas and tools that any organisation and any leader should be tapping into. So brilliant to have Gary on. I'm going to leave you with this.
1: If today was your last day, and tomorrow was too late, could you say goodbye yesterday? Would you live each moment?